Thanks, everybody. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here at uh, Medina East Campus, a privilege. And I'm a, a pastor at the Bath Campus, if we haven't met yet. Uh, I get to serve there on a regular basis. And Tony and I have been friends for a long, long time. And so he asked me to come over and, uh, and bring this series, this set of conversations, um, Jealousy the Good Kind, for the, a handful of weeks. And so we started that last week. If you're just joining us for the first time today, I want to kind of bring you up to speed in that conversation. And uh, hopefully, even as you're hearing that concept, jealousy, the good kind, maybe it's even causing a, a bit of a problem in your mind. Because, right, jealousy is like never a good thing, right? Nobody ever thinks, I want to be a jealous person. That's like my goal in life is to become jealous. Our culture would look at jealousy and say, yeah, jealous people, right, are, are tend, they tend to be weak or insecure. Right? There's something off, right, if I tend to, to kind of lean in towards jealousy more and more and more. And so our culture would view jealousy in really a negative way. And nobody wants to be that guy or that lady that always trends into being jealous and being insecure and struggling in those ways. And a lot of times when, when the culture has kind of a, a take on an issue or a topic or something that we're looking at, the Bible will tend to be in a different place. And, and while the culture views jealousy in a negative way, it's funny, the Bible would actually uh, view jealousy negative as well. It's not quite the same, right? So the Bible's not going to look and say that you're weak or insecure or unstable if you're jealous. The Bible is going to take it in a little bit of a different direction, although negative as well. It's going to say, man, if you're a jealous person, uh, that's a moral issue. That's a sin problem. Right? If I'm practicing jealousy and I'm always struggling with that, that's something that we would say that should really not be in uh, the character of a, a Christ follower. Right? That's something I should deal with and maybe even repent of if I'm always struggling with jealousy, looking into someone else's relationships and longing to have what they have or kind of coveting or envying. And we talked a little bit about that. We said that uh, last week that uh, jealousy is genuinely, generally seen as a bad thing the problem came in, we said, is when we look into the Bible and we actually find out that the author of the Bible actually is described as a jealous God. You're like, wait a minute. Uh, the Bible says that jealousy is bad. Uh, the Bible says that jealousy is sinful. How is it possible that the author of the Bible, God himself then, is called a jealous God? Like, what do we do with that? And we began to unpack it a little bit last week. We said, no, God's not a hypocrite. Uh, there's no uh, contradiction with the Bible. There's just more to the conversation. And we began to unpack that last week. In quick review, here's what we said. We said there's a couple different kinds of jealousy, right? For the sake of our conversation, we're going to organize it this way. We said there's going to be a good kind and a bad kind of jealousy. Right? We maybe break it down that way. And what we tend to think of culturally and even biblically is the bad kind of jealousy, where we would look at, at someone and say, here's what we define bad jealousy as, where it's a desire for a possession or a relationship that someone else has. It's a desire for a possession or a relationship that someone else has. It's when I look into your marriage and wish I had a marriage like yours, right? Or I look into your lifestyle and wish I had a setup like you have one. I mean, if I had that job or that house or that income or that set of skills, right? I'm longing to have this kind of possession or relationship that somebody else has. That's the bad kind. We said that there is, however, a good kind of jealousy, a virtuous kind of jealousy. And here's what that looks like. Good jealousy is this. It's zeal 
for the heart of the person that I'm in a relationship with. Zeal for the heart of the person I'm in a relationship with. We could say, if I'm jealous for someone, it really means the same thing biblically as being zealous for them. That, that word in the Bible tends to tie in together. And so we said, when there is a committed and a defined relationship, right? Maybe, maybe it's a spousal relationship, husband and wife, where we said, we're going to relate together in this certain way. Or maybe it's a coach and player or a parent and child or uh, an employee-employer relationship where we both said, hey, we agree kind of to lock into this relationship together. We both say we're going to interact on these terms and in these ways. When someone drifts from that relationship, the other person is fired up with good jealousy and they long to see their heart return to that relationship the way that they both kind of mutually said that they were going to relate. That's jealousy, the good kind. And where we begin to say that this really starts to matter is when we talk about jealousy that God has for us, right? God is going to lock into the good kind of jealousy, and we say that God is going to look at us, and at times, he becomes jealous for our hearts. And we kind of, I told you last week I was going to leave you hanging, and we did a little bit. We landed with this question. We said, is it possible that God is jealous for me? I kind of landed with that question, kind of a heart check question. Is it possible that God's looking at my heart and my heart potentially has drifted towards something or or someone else in a portion of my heart that really should be reserved only for God and it is attached to something else? Is that possible? And so we're going to advance that conversation this morning. And guys, even before we dive in, I just want to tell you, because we're still kind of getting to know each other, this is a, a bit of a uh, a heavier conversation. We're going to talk about things of the heart. And, and so I just almost want to have your permission to move into that conversation. I want you to know that that's coming. Uh, we said in general that if we're going to talk about jealousy, uh, either the good or the bad kind, that, that usually something's off. Something's a little bit broken if jealousy is needed. Right? Even if it's the good kind of jealousy, it's a great response uh, to a bad situation. So as we move into this conversation, I just want you to know that it's a bit of a heart conversation, a little bit heavier, and we're going to dive in here and begin to advance it and carry that conversation much deeper. So let's go back to where we started. We started in the book of Exodus, right? And we introduced, a really, we introduced ourselves to this God of jealousy. Here, we'll review this verse real quick in Exodus chapter 34. The writer's Moses. Here's what he's going to say. Exodus 34, 14. I'll just read it to you. We've got it up here on the screens. It says, that, Do not worship any other God. Do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And we said last week that, that jealousy is so much a part of who God is. Boy, it shows up as, as his own name. It's a part of who he is is part of his character. It's a part of who God is. Let me set us up a little bit and start to understand why Moses would say that. We'll kind of reconstruct the situation, give us some context. When Moses said this, there's a set of things that had happened before this that we need to know about. So the people of Israel had become this massive nation, just massive. They were huge. And they were enslaved within a bigger nation, right? The nation of Egypt. And Egypt had enslaved Israel, and God had wanted to free the people of Israel, his people, 
and move them out of that situation in Egypt. And so he goes and he taps on a guy named Moses. And he's like, Moses, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your life. I want you to set my people free. Right? And so long story, amazing things happen where God is able to use Moses to free the people of Israel. They come out of Egypt. And God's like, I want my people to move out from under this slavery and what I want to do is I, I want to form a nation out of you people. Right? I love the people of Israel. And I, want, I want to form a, a committed and a defined relationship with you. I want to enter into this in a new way. And so while the people of Israel are in the midst of Egypt, they would have witnessed all kinds of things. Right? They would have seen that the people, of I, is, the people of Egypt worship other gods. This would have been normal for the people of the day. Right? So, so here's what folks are doing. They're looking around at things they can't explain, and they're trying to, to kind of tag on to creation and the amazing things of the sun and the moon and all this stuff that's going on. They're attaching uh, power to that, and they're worshiping other things other than the one true God, and that is called idolatry, right? So they would literally make pieces of stone that they carve and worship them, make monuments and bow down and worship them, Here's a definition for idolatry we could use. It's, it's offering a level of devotion to someone or something that should only be reserved for God. It's offering a level of devotion to someone or something that should only be reserved for God. So the Egyptians are taking this portion of devotion, a portion of their heart, we could say, and they're offering it to pieces of wood and stone and monument and other things, God is saying, people of Israel, when I, when I take you out of this situation, we're going to form this committed and defined relationship. I don't want you to do what the Egyptians have done. I don't want you to do what the other nations are doing when they, when they bow and they offer this level of devotion to these other gods. I want you to worship me, right? And, it, and if you were to worship these other idols, that would invoke my jealousy, I'm, I am a jealous God, and I want, I want this portion of your heart that is rightfully mine. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. That's the situation that we find ourselves in here when Moses is teaching us to not worship any other God, to not have any idols in our lives. Now, fast forward to the time of Jesus. The nation of Israel had developed, all kinds of stuff had happened, and idolatry had become more and more sophisticated. Now the people of Israel, in the time of Jesus, they're not going to struggle so much with bowing down to a rock or a piece of wood or a monument. They're going to struggle with, with idols of the heart, right? where, where they're going to take uh, the good gifts that God has given and over-elevate those gifts to the level of a god. And so the gifts that God is beginning to give us, these folks would grab onto those gifts and they would own those at too high of a level and make a God out of them. Let me show you what I mean. So Jesus is going to teach us this in Matthew chapter 6. He's going to talk a little bit about what the situation is in the day. Right? Teaching his disciples and talking uh, in this situation, coming right out of uh, working with the Pharisees. In Matthew 6.24... You can listen along or you can turn there if you want. We begin to see this clarity in Jesus' teaching, talking about idols. Here's what he says. He says, No one, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He's going to talk about money here. He says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, and this is why idolatry is such a problem, such a problem. Here's what Jesus knows that we don't. He is giving clarity to this. Here's what he's really going to tell us is that uh, the human heart only has room for one God. That's just how it works. The human heart only has room for one God. And, and for me, this makes the most sense visually. I'm a visual person, and I usually use the whiteboard. And uh, today what I want to do is kind of have this, I got this bookshelf, because this is how this makes sense to me in my head, okay? So Jesus is saying, here's what's going on, right? I'm, I am God. I want to have kind of exclusive real estate here in your heart. I want to be like the top priority, and I want to own your heart and own the portion that should go to a God, this is kind of my section. And I grab my, my wallet here, which is just massive. I, I don't sit on this, by the way. I would have back problems. Sometimes people ask me about that. It's like the Costanzo wallet. Do you guys ever see Seinfeld? <laughs> Evidently not. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to use this to represent money. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, yeah, you cannot do this. Like, it, it's not just that it's wrong. It just doesn't work. Here's what I mean. If I'm going to follow Jesus... And I'm going to make him my master. And everything, the best of me, is going to go towards whatever God wants. Right? So I'm going to learn about God. I'm going to devote myself to God. I want to love God. And my life is going to be aligned around God, his priorities, his kingdom, everything that he wants. Jesus is saying is, I can't serve God like that and then at the same time look at money and say, money I'm going to advance all that you are. All my resources and all my knowledge and all my strength and power is going to advance you and growing you. Jesus is going to say, at the end of the day, one of these two things are going to win out. Right? And if I have these two masters, what's going to happen is I'm going to love one and I'm going to hate the other. Or I'm going to be devoted to one and I'm going to despise the other. I cannot have two masters. I cannot have two gods. One of them ultimately will win out. And what I need to do is deal with that and pick who's going to be my master. Jesus would help us to understand that at the end of the day, we've got, we got to move money right, to, to its rightful place. It's not that we can't have money. right? We have to have money to survive, money to live, it's a good gift from God. It cannot be elevated to the point of God itself. Right? There's no room. Why? Human heart only has room for one God, just how it works. You know, I, gra- I grabbed a couple other things with me today and uh, grabbed this nice pink car. I've got four kids. Three of them are girls. So pink is everywhere in my house. It is like all over the place. It's pink, Fisher-Price vomit all over, right? It's just like, what has happened to my home? I don't know how this played out. So sometimes, right, we're going to look at, at our material items, maybe a vehicle or a home, right, or our possessions, and they're good gifts from God. Like, I hope you drove a car here today, right? 
It's raining outside. I hope that that's the way that you got here. God's not saying that, that having a vehicle is wrong. Now, if I elevate this good gift that God has given to the point where it's a non-negotiable, right? You, you can't touch my car. You can't touch my money. God forbid I have to move in my house and I have to sell it to stay in financial health. Don't go there. Those are signs that I have over-elevated the priorities of money or possessions or other pieces like that. Great way to know if I've elevated something to the level of a God is by kind of measuring how protective I am of it. You know? How much, how many lengths do I go to to protect and to ensure and to make sure that this thing doesn't fail? And if somebody starts moving towards this or challenging this, how fired up do I get about that? Right? Does that invoke my anger or my fear or anxiety? Those are great measurements to begin to ask the question, boy, have I put this good gift that God has given and elevated it to the level of a God? Right? They're good things. They're just on the wrong shelf. Right? Human heart only has room for one God. Now, Jesus is going to uh, continue to turn up the heat on this conversation, right? Because this stuff matters, and it, it's, it's comprehensive. It needs to show up everywhere. So he's going to talk to money and possessions in this section, and, and then I'm going to lead us into a, a portion of Scripture that I have found personally extremely difficult. Um, if I think of the hard, some of the hardest passages to understand and work with and really the most challenging things that Jesus has said, uh, this is one of them that comes to my mind. It's in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. We're just going to look at a few verses real quick. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Here's what Jesus says. Actually, Luke's going to introduce us to what's happening. He says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. At this point in Jesus' ministry, everybody is tuning into Jesus. Right? I mean, he had been healing the sick, right? making the blind see, causing the deaf to hear, driving demons out of the demon-possessed, and people had begun to hear as the rumor right, and the news spread about Jesus. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, Kind of everybody wants a piece of Jesus. There are just masses of people everywhere. Say, Jesus, blow our minds with some new teaching. Heal us. Take care of us. Feed us. Remember how you fed the 5,000? We want some bread, right? And there's these massive crowds that begin to gather around Jesus. And periodically, you would see Jesus do this, right? Where, where there are masses of people, he would at times have a very clarifying conversation with them. Really cut to the heart of it. And here's what he says in verse 26. He said, if anyone comes to me or comes after me, I want to make sure before we read any further you know what that means. He says, if anybody comes to me, he's not talking about coming to Jesus casually and bumping into him. He's saying, if anyone comes to me and wants to enter into 
a committed and a defined relationship with me. If you want to be my disciple and you want me to be your rabbi, right? if you want to lock into this relationship together, that's how he's going to begin the conversation. Hey, masses of people that are following me. Hey, crowds that are traveling with me from town to town and showing up for all kinds of reasons. He said, I want you to listen up. If you want, want me to be your rabbi and you want to be my disciple, hear what I have to say. Here's what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Here's Jesus looking at these crowds. They're coming to him for all kinds of reasons. And Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you got to look at all, all the relationships that are close to you. And, and in light of your love and your devotion to me, it needs to seem like hate. You need to love everyone around you so much less than me. It's as if you hated them. That's really what that word means. The love and hate relationship is that you would choose someone over someone else. Say, I, I want you to be able to choose your mom, to choose me over your mom and dad, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, even your own life. Now here's a question for you. Is Jesus being a jerk when he asks this question? Is he being a jerk when he looks and says, I, I want to be at the top of the pile? Right? When you look at all your priorities and all your relationships, He's kind of unapologetically saying, I, I, I need to be number one. Let me ask you another question. Was I being a jerk when I asked my wife, Lori, to marry me? Here's what I mean. Right? We were dating. Our relationship was advancing. Right? We're moving towards commitment to one another. Right? And, and I, I came to this point in our relationship where I said, you know what? This woman's it. Right? I'm crazy about her. She, she's beautiful. She's godly. She's wonderful. I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman. And we, get, we kind of move towards that point of making a decision where we're ready to lock into that relationship. And, and I would kind of come to Lori and say, honey, I... I love you and we've been dating and, and I want to move and advance our relationship and I want to protect you and I want to build a family with you and I want to have children with you and I want to do this thing together. You know? I want to build this together. I, I'm going to forsake all other romantic relationships. I'm going to say no to every other woman and I want you to be the one woman that I spend my life with. Right? And you're really going to be my person. Like We're going to lock in and do this marriage thing together. Now, I came and I kind of presented all that to Lori. And I brought myself to her. But then I asked her a question. I looked at her and I said, will you marry me? And what we didn't really realize at the time is that when I asked Lori, my wife, to marry me, what was attached to that question 
was a myriad of other questions. Because really what I was asking Lori to do was this. I was asking her to look at the friends that she had known and built community with for really her whole life. And I was asking her to, to deprioritize those relationships in light of our relationship. I, I was saying, honey, I, I want it to be more important to you than your friends are. I want you to look at your brother and be able to say, hey, hey brother, my own flesh and blood, right? We, we have shared all of our lives together in light of this relationship with Ryan, right? My, my allegiance goes to him, even over you. I was asking her to look at her mom and dad who gave her life, who knew her from birth, changed her, right, the whole thing. And I was asking to have greater allegiance to me than to her own parents. I was saying your hopes and dreams, all that you value in life except for Jesus I want you to lock in and marry me. Was I being a jerk when I asked her to do that? I brought a picture of our wedding day. Aw. <laughs> Nicely done. That was good. Right? I brought a picture of our wedding day. Here's what was going on. When I brought the best of myself and I asked Lori to bring the best of herself, and I asked her to marry me, I was not asking her to love me. She already loved me. She loved me, and she loved her mom and dad, and she loves Lebanese food, she's Lebanese, she loves musicals, she's a great person, she loves all kinds of stuff. I wasn't asking Lori to love me. Listen, I was asking Lori to love me the most. Critical difference all the difference in the world. See, I, I wasn't saying, honey, I, I want you to interact with me the way that you would interact with any other guy on the planet or any other casual pursuit. I, I'm saying, I want this level of devotion. I want the exclusive real estate on this shelf. I want it all, and I will not share it, and I will not apologize. And if somebody tries to creep up onto this shelf... They will face my jealousy, frankly. I'll fight for it. That's, that's what I'm asking. All that's loaded into that question. Guys, this is exactly what's happening here. When Jesus looks at the crowds, he says, you want to follow me? Do you want to be my disciple? Jesus is not looking to the crowds and saying, hey, I want you to love me. Be pro-Jesus, right? Be positive about Jesus stuff. Come to church sometimes, right? be, be genuinely, generally on kind of the side of Jesus when we kind of fall into categories in life and when we fill out census surveys. Jesus is looking and he's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, I'm not asking you to love me. I'm asking you to love me the most. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people, and I will not apologize. 
And if something creeps up on this shelf, I want you to understand that you will face my jealousy. That I'm going to fight for your heart. That I'm going to be zealous for you. And I'm going to protect this committed and defined relationship that we're in. Jesus didn't ask us to love him. He's asking us to love him the most. You guys, this is how this thing starts to play out. I got to tell you guys, this, this, this whole series, um, it was really born out of some downtime that I had over, over the eternity year, right? Kind of January, December, you know, that week in between Christmas and New Year's. And I, I tend to run a pretty busy schedule like all of you do. And I had some downtime just to kind of reflect. It's a great time of reflection for me. You know, as I was getting some downtime, I was drawn back to this verse in Exodus where God's jealousy is presented. And I had to be pretty honest with myself that, that what I began to see in myself is that I began to allow some of the good gifts that God had given me, I began to allow them to creep up to this top shelf. And um, my number one temptation is to move this one up here, right? Put my marriage next to God. Marriage is a fantastic second shelf priority. It's a terrible God. I began to look at uh, my children, I didn't realize that this was happening, but I got some, some goodies here that I brought to represent my kids. Spidey, frozen, <laughs> just taken over my home as well. Let it go. Let's go. <laughs> right? And I, I began to see this family that God has given me, right, my baby, I began to see that, that these things began to creep up towards this top shelf, you know. I didn't realize it was happening. It just kind of oozed into this. I drifted into this. But if I was honest, what was happening was I was beginning to quarantine off portions of my life, saying, okay, God, you can have my whole life except this part and this part and this part and this part. And by the way, don't touch my calling. Like I want it to play out the way that I want it to play out, even though you gave it to me. And I began to see that there, there was only just this little bit of room left for God to work. And, you know, I, I had, I'm like, here, you can have this part, God. And, and God was loving and gentle, but zealous in saying, Ryan, these are great gifts. Isn't it great that you have them? They cannot go on the shelf. They cannot serve as a God in your life. And, and you need to straighten out these priorities because the level of devotion that you're offering to them should only be reserved for me. Because that's what idolatry is. When I offer a level of devotion to someone or something else, it should only be reserved for God. Guys, and this is how this thing plays out, is, is Jesus is saying, I, if I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, we're going to be in this relationship together, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to fight, and I'm going to ask you to fight to keep this shelf clear. 
all kinds of good gifts show up. And what, what God's going to be asking of us, he's going to say, in essence, am I enough for you? Right? Is this relationship enough for you? And this is exactly what played out when I married Lori. Right? Isn't this how vows work? Right? When we look at each other in the eye, right, at the altar, and we look and we say, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, if everything we dream of falls apart, I need to know. I need you to vow to God in front of all of these people that my heart is enough for your heart. That's what we're saying, right? If none of the benefits of the relationship come, that you are enough for me and I'm enough for you and we're in this thing together. And, God, and God's saying, hey, am I enough for you? If none of the blessings come, if all of life falls apart, if there's pain in the midst of this journey of life, if the finances don't show up, Am I enough for you? Am I enough to fulfill you and to satisfy you? Am I enough that you'll fight for me? Regardless of these blessings, if they don't show, if they don't come. Am I enough? Will you love me the most? That's the question that God's asking for all of us. And guys, we, we could have a thousand other things on this shelf, right? Physical fitness, boom. I can't worship my body. The pursuit of career advancement, you know, power, money, prestige, right? Social connection, comfort, you name it. Anything that, that is, a, is a gift from God, really. But, but if it creeps up and it over-elevates it invokes the jealousy of God. And when we do that in our own hearts, we make that thing a rival in which God is jealous to deal with that. It's a scary place to be. Okay. So guys, how do we land this conversation? Here's what I think we have to do. I gotta begin to ask the question, I'm gonna give us some time to do that in a minute. Has this shelf become crowded you know through life is through busyness through just doing normal have the good gifts that God has given me have they perhaps drifted up and now are actually at the level of a God in my life gotta ask that question because I think all of us we, we have to be honest with ourselves and maybe even back up a step and say, have we ever fully settled the question of who we're going to love most? Have we fully settled that one? Right? What am I going to worship in this life? Not just who am I going to love. Who am I going to love the most? What am I going to make my God? Guys, if you've never made that decision... I, I, frankly, I'm not even really talking about salvation. I'm talking about that decision to love Jesus the most. Is that, that decision will fundamentally change your life. It just will. Why? Because when I, when I have 
two things on this shelf, man, I'm conflicted. The human heart can only have one God. So if I'm worshiping something else, showing up here to church on Sunday, and I'm trying to work the Jesus thing into it, I'm a conflicted person. Human heart can only have room for one God. So I want to settle that question and say, Jesus, uh, from today on, I want a committed and defined relationship with you. I want to love you the most. You guys might have said yes to Jesus and salvation 50 years ago or 20 years ago or, or last week, I don't know. Wherever you are in the spectrum of connecting to Jesus, would you deal with this question? And say, Jesus, I want to love you the most and I want you to be my God and for the rest of my days, I will fight to keep this shelf clear. Will you work for that and own that, not to become saved, but, but out of loyalty, out of jealousy, out of love for Jesus? It's the place we have to land. The human heart only has room for one God. I want to choose to love this God the most. And then our next step is really being honest about what it takes to clear that shelf. Because I'm going to have the band come out here. And uh, I, I think the best way for us to end this conversation, wrestling with those questions, but then I want to actually pray through it because this is a conversation about the heart. So let's actually take some time to bow our heads, close our eyes, and begin to give God uh, some room to show us what's on the shelf today. Lord, I, I pray even now that you would open our hearts, help us to be honest. Help us to see maybe what has crept up to that, that top shelf in our heart, Lord. This morning in our honesty, Lord, would you give that, that idol a name? If it's money or family or marriage or fitness or who knows what. Lord, give us the courage to, to name that idol. And then, Lord, give us the courage to put that, that good gift that you've given and to move it down to a lower shelf. Help us today to say, we'll love you the most. Not just a casual interaction. Not just one of the crowd. Lord. Help us to realize today the zeal and the passion and the jealousy that you have for us. It's overwhelming. It's all out of love. Thank you, Lord. Work on our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.